hello there and welcome to a very special Minnesota United slash United States men's national team podcast. Callum Williams here alongside Kendra D. St. Aubin as always. Later on in the show, we'll be joined by US soccer great Alexi Lalas to break down everything for the United States against Honduras, that crucial World Cup qualifying game here in the Twin Cities on Wednesday evening. First though, Kendra, let's talk about Minnesota United, shall we? Um, there's been a fair bit happening over the course of the last couple of weeks. The team down in Orlando on pre-season, they had a, what we're told was a fairly uneventful nil-nil tie against Chicago Fire. Um, before we get into specifics, what, what have you... I know you haven't seen the team over the last week or so, but we, we got a, a fairly decent chunk of them up at the training facility in Blaine two weeks ago. What did you make of, of what you saw and what you have seen so far? Well, I think first and foremost, and we talked a little bit about this with Steve last week when we did get the opportunity to see the team in person before they took off about what really impressed us, who we thought looked good. And I thought the overall theme for me was just that they, they looked sharp. They looked fit. This, you know, preseason is no longer the time for guys to get fit. This is very specific offseason workouts. It looks like everyone took those incredibly seriously to heart. They came in in shape, even some of the young guys, some of the newbies out there, some of the trialists even hanging in there in the beep test um, and not not even sure they knew that was coming and didn't have an off season workout. So I was really impressed with the, the sessions that we were able to watch. I think that I was insanely um, excited to see Abu Dhabi and his maturation, not just as a player, but as a person and what he's brought to the field. And then same, same as you following along, whether it's on our social media channels, whether it's on our comms channels, um, trying to keep up with what the team has going on on a daily basis down there in Florida, a chance for them to get on grass, to be outside, Again, they're in a hotel environment, so the camaraderie, the chemistry, Will Trapp said it several times to us. This is about culture. This is about setting the tone right from the beginning. And a lot of that happens in preseason, and it happens in this time when you're together and there's no distractions. They're still missing a few players, which we understand due to international duty or family or whatever it might be, or some of the new guys haven't been able to come in yet um, due to paperwork and things like that. But I think for the most part, this is a group that is ready to get going. And I think Adrian Nanu is going to play, you know, play inspired this year. He, he was a disappointment last year in his results and his lack of finishing. And I think he knows that. And the club knows that his teammates know that he can be better. And I think players like that are what you need to see in preseason. How are they going to come in in their second year or really their first full season with the team? We spoke about several new faces and a litany of, of departures in the previous podcast, which you can find on this podcast platform and, of course, on MNUFC.com. But one departure that has happened since we recorded that, Kay, is Thomas Chacon, the Uruguayan young designated player who is no longer on the roster, spent last season on loan with Liverpool in Uruguay, uh, not in the English Premier League, for those of you who are confused. Um, never seemed to work out for him here. Why? Well, I think, you know, it's one of those things when you get foreign players into MLS, you're not sure ever how that's going to pan out. And then you put on the fact that he was extremely young, the environment he came into. Um, I think that you're trying to utilize a young player who's never, you know, really had the time to adapt to this environment and to this league. And at the same time, you're still trying to win. I mean, that is the job of this coaching staff. You bring in a player that shows a lot of promise, has a lot of skill. They saw him in the U20 World Cup at the same time um, that I believe it was Rodriguez or um, I, yeah, Brian Rodriguez, who played also for Uruguay in the U20s and impressed and then went to L.A. So 
I think there's this player that has this skill set that you think might be able to work, that might be able to fit. You play him on the wing in those spaces where he can navigate. And, you know, we, we saw right from the first training session when he was here and you see him on the ball and you're like, wow, this, this kid clearly has some skill. He has some talent with the ball at his foot. He can work some magic. He's small, he's petite, but can he still navigate the space, find some combination play, link up with others and find his way into that attacking third. And it just never happened. And I, I do I do think that there's a major issue there with his time that there wasn't a proper place for him to play locally and get minutes and continue to develop and adapt, meaning a a secondary team, right? For him to play on a reserve team where he's getting the games, he's getting the minutes, he's getting time to acclimate to the United States, to this culture, to MLS, to this league, to this team. And I think that that hindered his progress. So I mean, I like Thomas Chacon. I think he, he's he got value somewhere. It just wasn't here in this system under Adrian Keith with this club in this moment. And um, it was better for him to go home and be be home. And he's still super young. So um, I'm I'm bummed because I thought you could see these flashes and these moments in, in the attack um, for him. Not enough defensively in this league. He didn't do enough defensively. He's got to have be willing to work on both sides of the ball to play here in this league, in this position. And I think that was that was the struggle um, also for him. It just it just never seemed to click from both sides, whether it was from the staff or whether it was was from Chacon um, to really embrace himself in in this team in this club. Um, but whilst we're, we're we're talking about Chacon and whatnot, Kate, I, I I happen to agree in the sense that it just it it didn't seem as though he wanted to do the defensive side of of the ball. He he didn't seem to be. Um, he didn't seem to be disciplined enough, in my opinion. And I know that that drove the coaching staff crazy. And there were several times, I think it was that 2019 campaign, when they wanted to start him and they thought about starting him and they they had him in, in the, the 11 for the, the training drills during the week. Um, and there were so many times when he played himself out of the starting 11. Ultimately, a lone move was the best thing for him, I think. Uh, and, he, and he played a lot of football and and, and did okay. I don't think he, he lit the world alight, but he did okay. Um but the one thing you have to say is that you, you would expect him, because he's, he's still only 21, 22, you would expect him to have a long career ahead of him. Unfortunately, it just wasn't here at Minnesota United. And, and, and as we as we have, have said on social media as well, um, there, there was a little bit of misinformation that went out there as well. Minnesota United do not have a designated player spot available um, because of that transaction. They still have one DP spot available. That is because of the departure of Jan Grigush. Okay, the reason I bring that up, I personally don't expect them to do anything with that DP spot this window, but maybe in the summer window. Yeah, you know, I think um, this is that time when everybody looks at the rosters and you can go on the the transfer boards and see what's happened and who's come in and who's come out for every club. You, you can go down the list of MLS and and you see all these flashy moves being made and other clubs that what they're doing. But to me, it's, it does, it's not about flashy. It's not, not about making a decision just to make it. It's about making the right decisions at the right time for this team and what the needs are. So you can't get caught up in that. Do I think that it's smart for Minnesota United if, if the right thing is to take their time and filling that DP slot. And if that's a summer transfer, if that's a summer um, signing, then I, that's the right thing. That's the, I feel good about this roster. I feel good about the depth of this roster. I don't want to be 
bogged down in how they ended the season in Portland because I don't think that was their best showing. I feel good about who this team has on the roster right now and the depth and the quality in those positions. I do think we've talked about some depth and quality at the outside back position and I and center back position. And that's just because of wear and tear in the season. That's just because of injuries. That's because what are you expecting from these guys to play 34 games and um, play every minute of every match and especially what they ask of the outside backs. I think those are all reasonable thought processes. Um, so I think that you, you're absolutely right in that a DP signing in the summer window would be a good choice, but if that's the right one at the right time for this club, if there was the right one at the right time for this club right now, or, or prior to that, when Jan Gregus departed, then absolutely by all means. But I think it's really important once again, to focus on doing the right things for the right reasons at the right time that fit this club and not just making rash decisions. Now, my question to you is, as we're talking about DPs and having an open spot is what about within the league? And I'm not saying even DP, I'm just saying adding players. It seems like that's been a more popular thing, unless I've just missed it the last few years, but trade trading within the league, moving players around within the league, acquiring players within the league, free agents. You know, we know that they have the ability to move around. We lost Ozzy Alonzo and Ethan Finley for sure. But what do you see from this year? Does that seem more to you? that we've seen players moving within the league rather than just acquiring guys from outside the league, or am I just off on that? Um, I think it, it's very easy to think like that now because of the, the big trade of Paul Ariola uh, going to, to Dallas from DC. There've been an abundance of, of trades, but th th there's always trades, I think, uh, around the league internally. I just don't think any of them have been as big. And that's because of the, the abundance of GAM now available. He, we we don't. I think before K, we, we were probably we were probably seeing um, internal trades happen, but not as often because. Um, and, and I'm going back sort of five six years now. Um, it was a lot. It was a lot more difficult to to move a player or get a player in internally in MLS because more often than not, you had to offer a draft pick or a player, and maybe you didn't necessarily want to get rid of that player, but you didn't want to get rid of that draft pick because the draft, in my opinion, was certainly more valuable. Uh, not saying it isn't now, but it certainly was more valuable um, six or seven years ago. Um, but now because of, of the introduction of, of general allocation money, and as I've said several times now, the, the litany of it that's available, I think it makes trades a lot easier in Major League Soccer now. So, um, like I said, that the, the one that, that springs to mind straight away is, is Paul Ariola. Um, and uh, you and I have, have, have had conversations about this this trade and, and what was right with it, what was wrong with it. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if this does become a more common thing for sure, simply because that the money is there to do it now. And I just, I think over the, the past um, decade or so um, in, in MLS, I think it, I think it was more difficult to do. Now, now I'm, I'm not as convinced. I think we'll see this more for sure. Well, and I just think there is value in MLS players, you know, and I think there's value in players with experience in this league. And we've talked about that before of trying to find that right balance or a mix, or at least it's been on my mind before within a roster of, you know, quality international guys that are coming over and they add a certain element, but it's not all just about that quality MLS veterans that, or just guys that have played a few years in the MLS and they understand this league, they understand the travel, they understand the schedule because it is different than other leagues and what is sort of is asked of the players. And then also quality of 
the players from the draft. I mean, we hit the jackpot in 2019 and not to say that that's the case with everybody in every year and every draft. And now you have these reserve leagues, this, this MNUFC two team that you're trying to fill. And you've got these quality players that you're able to look at on a daily basis, incorporate your system and your style and possibly utilize them in some of the first team training sessions and whatnot. So I just think that it's really about finding that balance and that mix and, and seeing what works and not just pigeonholing yourself into a certain like, oh, well, we're only looking here. We're only looking there. This is how we need to fill a DP side. We just talked about Jesus Ferreira and him, you know, signing a designated player spot um, with FC Dallas. So that, and that was a big move to make a homegrown into a DP, whether it's a young DP or regular DP or whatever. I think that was important. I think even for homegrowns and, and other players to see within the league that that's a possibility. I said this a few years ago, Kay. I don't think it's ever going to happen, but I, I, I would love to see, maybe we'll see it in, in some other sense um, or, or identified in a different way, but I would love at some stage for there to be a fourth DP announced on, on, on the rosters, but they have to be American. Uh, and I would think that would keep a lot of Americans in Major League Soccer uh, a lot more than it does now. And, and there's the debate that will be had then as to, well, is that better for US Soccer? We don't know. It's hard to say, though, because that was like the whole green card. You know, you could only have a certain number of international slots to sure. keep it. <laughs> now everybody just goes against their green card. So I don't disagree with you in any way, shape or form. Whatever we need to do to make this league continue to be good and great and grow. You know, and that's a whole other debate for another day. Like, let's talk about Polito. They've, they've lost a DP for the whole season, yet they don't get to fill that spot. What, what yeah. about that role? You know, so there's like right. a gazillion things right now. Yeah. We just, we just need to fill the three DP spots for Minnesota United. We're not worried about. So I don't know. It's just crazy. There's a lot of things that, you know, you know, Don Garber is always trying to make this league better and make it grow. Yeah. And it's just, how do we do that? Yeah. Let's not go down the, the rabbit hole <laughs> of the DP rule and what can and can't be done and what have you. We'll save that for another one. Here's the question I have for you though, as we head to break. Are the United States men's national team soft? Because that has been suggested by a handful of people that cover our game. You define soft for me first. Are we talking physically? Are we talking mentally? Are we talking emotionally? I would say all of the above. Okay. Well, for me, I think that we're tiptoeing around certain players too much. That's how I would envision soft in a certain aspect. I know a lot has been made about Christian Pulisic and, you know, you just, people just want him to find himself again because he's phenomenal when he is, and he's got that edge. And when I talk about edge, I'm talking about the competitiveness, not the, like every time you get your ankles clipped and he does get hacked quite a bit and he gets fouled quite a bit, but not complaining um, about that. I think you look at like a Weston McKin McKinney and you know how a Eunice Musa even plays. And um, some of these guys that have played at these certain levels in these certain environments. And I don't view them as, soft but I think as a whole right now this team doesn't know how to gut out a win as a unit so it's hard for me to say I, I don't think there's all the players are that way and it comes down really to the individual which then comes down to the the unit as a whole because they have to do it together and I think Burhalter coming out and, and we'll touch on this a little bit more but in trying to I don't know if he was taking one for the team but saying that they dominated the game against Canada and um, you know, he felt good about their performance, but not about the result. I mean, those guys all know, you know, if you've played well or not, you know, you know, if, 
like you and I can say on a broadcast, someone can, you know, in the stadium club can come pat us on the back and say, wow, that's the best broadcast I've ever heard. And we're like, oh my gosh, that was terrible. Like <laughs> we know ourselves, our own performance on how we do. And those players are the same way. So I think we're, I think we are treating them too soft and maybe Burhalter is treating them, you know, too soft, but maybe that's his job. We don't know what the conversations are in the locker room. I, all no. I know is this is a must win game. This is ridiculous. They've got to find a way to smash Honduras. And unfortunately, you know, we can't just wait till the the team in the bottom of the CONCACAF comes into town on your home pitch and, and find a way. you got to find a way in other places too. Yep, I would agree uh, entirely. I think uh, this is, with Berhalter's comments, this is him taking one for the team. Um, I don't think the United States are soft. I think Canada are much better than people give them credit for. But moving into this game, the United States have had two poor performances and they need to be better on Wednesday. We'll dissect that and talk about it and preview the game against Honduras for the United States next. Welcome back, Callum Williams. As always, alongside former golfer soccer star Kendra D. St. Aubin, very, very special guest joining us today. Uh, he was playing for the United States in the original World Cup here in 1994. Let's hope he's covering the United States at this upcoming World Cup in Qatar at the end of the year. Joining us, my fellow ginger in crime, Alexi Lalas. Alexi, thanks so much for joining us. How are you? Welcome to the pod. I'm good. I'm good. Long live the mutant gene. It's a pleasure to be here with both of you. Thank you so much for joining us, Lexi. Uh, right, so we've got a lot to discuss. Um, the national team at the moment, before we, we dig into things specifically, the last game against Canada, mm-hmm. um, it hurt. It didn't feel like the national team we know. It feels like there are some issues at the moment. What were your overriding thoughts after the final whistle? Well, I mean, it hurt for you. I think it hurt for me. I don't want to speak for Kendra, but I'm assuming it hurt for her. It seems like the only one that it didn't really hurt um, was Greg Berhalter. That's based on his comments after the game, which were a bit of a head scratcher. I mean, I I know Greg and and he's a smart guy. And that was, I'm not going to call it dumb, but it didn't land whatever he was trying to say because we all watched the game. And, you know, a part of me, the romantic side of me actually has a respect that you know, he's, he wants to die on that hill and he is a true believer and he looks at the game in totality and says they did the things that they wanted to do. We're here to qualify for the World Cup here. I don't care how you ultimately do it, to be quite honest with you. I want you to get those results and we can lose to Canada. Canada's a good team. We can lose to Canada, but the way in which we lost, that's what's a little disturbing because this was never going to be a soccer game. This was a bar fight. And unfortunately, the U.S., they didn't have any response to when the bar fight started and they, they got hit and we got our ass kicked ultimately. Um, the, 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 the irony is that Canada actually took a page out of our book. They looked like the U.S. used to look for multiple decades and, you know, the, the physical nature of the game, uh, the willingness to absorb pressure, get the goal that they need. Uh, they, they are under no pressure. Um, and so I, it's a very comfortable underdogish type of position who, if this continues on, then there will be more expectations and pressure. But right now that was, while it pained me as an American, I, I took a little pride in that they looked like what the U S used to look like when they were at its, at its best. And even this great Burhalter team, I would 
submit to you when, when it really resonated, when we really looked at this team and said, that's something special. Actually, they were much more regressive and had that, for lack of a better word, Americanness in their play than, uh, than I think they're, they're trying to be. Well, and if we take a look and, and rehash a little bit of what Burhalter's comments were after the game, he basically said that he was proud of the guys in the performance, but he was disappointed in the result, right? Something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And I know there's been some conversation and debate about, was that more for the player's sake? You can't throw the players under the bus. You don't want to, or was it more for Greg Burhalter's sake? Because those guys in the room know if they dominated, you know, air quotes, the game or not, they know if they they're, they're, they're grown men. They've been around a long time in, in far as these leagues they play and they know if they played well or not. So was it more for a Greg Burhalter to say those comments or more for his team? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, if he, if he was trying to send a message to his team and avoiding from throwing them under the bus, you know, I get it. You protect your team, but that's a, you know, that's a, that's taken one for the team because, um, because like I said, it, it didn't land for any of us uh, outside. And if I'm a player and I hear that, I, I guess I'm worried that he, he doesn't have an understanding of the problems. I mean, look, we're so worried about hurting and, and breaking these players. And I know some of them are young and inexperienced, but they have been given every opportunity to succeed. We have armed them with incredible skills from many from a very young age, and they have been in that cocoon of security. They're going to be okay. They have been taught from a young age to be professional players. And so criticizing them either publicly or privately is not a problem. And I think sometimes we want Greg Berhalter to be something that maybe he just can't be. We want to see more of a fire. I mean, he is low-key, he is incredibly um, cerebral and thinks about things. Everything that he says is thought of. So it, there might have been a strategy behind it, but we don't know it from the outside. And he might you know, recognize the, the, the uh, criticisms coming right now for those words and talking about you know, the dominant display and proud of the way that we went out and did that all. You know, that, that he might recognize that we're going to scream and yell about it, but maybe that was his intention all the, time, the whole time. Alexia, I've been asked to be a little more not controversial, but opinionated this season by Kendra and one or two others. So I'm going to try my best here. Okay. Um, the thing that really puzzled me, and this was at halftime of the El Salvador game. Now, as you, you've said, you know Greg Berhalter, so explain this to me. At halftime, he did an interview and he said the front three weren't pressing enough. They weren't pressing to what he wanted and what he expected. You'll start, I, I get Timothy Weyer, no problem. You're starting Christian Pulisic, who I know is not exactly a snail, but he's not exactly a, a roadrunner either. You're leading the line with Jesus Ferreira, who, in my opinion, is not a centre forward. He's actually better off as a shadow striker underneath, the main mm-hmm. forward. You're asking him to press. What, what, what am I missing here? How, how can that be the approach with these players? I mean, well, I, 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 I don't know what... Greg Berhalter, well, his intention, obviously, based on that comment, was to have, regardless of who the personnel was out there on the field, do something. And to your point, some of them are more capable uh, capable than others. I think he looked at El Salvador and said, this is a team that we can press and we can win the ball in advantageous uh, uh, areas. And, you know, I think it, that's the type of game you get one in the first half, it ends up being three, possibly four, uh, four nothing. But it does, but it doesn't come. And I think, you know, whether it's pressing or not, I think, look, I, in totality, I think the U.S. is a better team than Canada. I think we have more depth. I think we have more talent. But up top, 
in terms of that attacking third and the, the, the individual talent that we have up top, I think Canada is much better than us, especially at the, at the tip of that spear. And so while we're talking a little bit about pressing right now, it, pre pressing is just one component of the attack. And we didn't create a lot of chances. Um, and so even if it was somebody who could put the ball in the back of the net, they weren't in the in the positions to put the ball in the back of the net. And I, I think we could argue right now, even putting the ball in the back of the net is a big question. I mean, the last person that we had that put any type of, you know, fear of God in the opposition was Josie Altidore. And we still haven't found a way uh, to replace that. But, you know, to your point about the uh, about the pressing, the pressing issue, you know, I don't know what he wanted, Jesus Ferreira, and in particular, Jesus Ferreira, because to your point, he's not a, he's not going to hold the ball up top. He's not going to be big and posing. And he doesn't necessarily have to be if he's going to play that false nine type of position. But maybe in that capacity, maybe letting them come a little bit more is important. But if they don't know that they are supposed to press, then that's on Greg, uh, Greg Berhalter. If they know and they just aren't doing it, that's on the players, but it also falls on Greg Berhalter because why are they deciding things to, to, to do things that you told them you don't want them to do? Or why are they just not doing what you told them to do? Because as well, Lex, sorry. Okay, the thing is, as well, even in that situation, Ferreira's not even dropping and the two wider players, wide players in inverted commas, they're not even pinching in at that stage. I just didn't understand it. And I thought to myself, now, as, a, as somebody who wants US soccer to do well, who has, who has become a fan and, and loved the team over my, my time in the US, I just didn't understand it. It was really confusing to me. And I don't, I don't want to sit here and bad Miles Berhalter, but I just thought to myself, for the first time ever, I thought, I'm not sure this is the right situation at the moment because it seems like Berhalter is asking his players to play a certain system, but he's not selecting the right players to play that yep. system. And, and no, he is, I think against Canada, what we saw was um, ideology meeting reality, right? And, and we know that when that happens, something has to give. And if you're not willing to compromise, and I don't think he is willing to compromise, it can be problematic because we know it's very difficult to achieve that 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 ideal, especially in a game like ours, where it's, there's you know there's so much chaos and there's so much uh, that you can't that you can't predict. You know, having said that, you know I do respect that he wants to do something to do something different. But regardless of what the actual plan is, he has to be able to transmit that uh, to the players. And it, I don't think I. I you know, he went to the well again for that second half bump. And as is often the case, when you need it the most, it's not there. And so I, you know, I was watching that Canada game and I was saying, all right, here comes the second half. It's either going to be personnel or, you know, some sort of tactical change that's going to enable the U.S. to do more to find that, that, that goal. And at that point, it's just one, it's one nothing. And it never came. It never came in terms of the tactics that if they were changed and it never came in terms of the, uh, the personnel. And so when you need it the most, sometimes that well will run dry. Man, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall for you watching the U.S.-Canada game or actually any U.S. game at this point. I can only imagine what emotions you have going on. But what about Christian Pulisic? What is the answer? You've been around a lot of great players. You've played with them. You've been a part of teams that have had them, you know, guys that have gone overseas and maybe had some pressure put on them. What is the answer for him? Where is he best on the pitch? How can he best be utilized? And, and mentally, emotionally, you know, we don't want to be soft on these guys. We don't want to cater to them necessarily and tiptoe around them. But what is the answer for him? Yeah, if I you think, had one. Yeah, I think. You. How do you solve a problem like Christian Prolistic, right? I mean, that's <laughs> it's it's a 
you know, it's a question that we are all trying to answer. And I think Greg Berhalter is trying to answer it too. I think he's best wide. Uh, I know a lot of people think he's better in the middle. I think it gets more complicated and more complex uh, and poses more challenges that I don't think he can overcome when he gets into the middle and there's more and more players. I like him strung out wide with space. Uh, I want him, you know, putting that shoulder down and forcing the issue on a continual basis. It's a little harder now because in a certain way with Robinson out there on that left-hand side, it, it kind of neuters him because he wants to bomb and go forward. And sometimes he's getting into literally getting into Christian's way. He almost killed him the other day in the game. Um, and so that could be a, that could be a problem. But, you know, again, Christian Pulisic, there's this notion out there that he has to carry this team or that he's being asked to carry this team or he's being asked to carry American soccer. And that's not the, that's not the case at all. If anything, there are players on this team that are carrying Christian Pulisic. He doesn't need to be the best player on the field every single game, but he needs to be a factor. He needs to impose himself because of the skill that he has. And I don't think that that's asking too much of Christian Pulisic. I don't think that we're going to break him and he's under this incredible amount of pressure. And if there's things going on off the field, look, I don't understand why the U.S. national team is supposed to be your your therapist or where you work out all your problems. This is the this is the national team. We're trying to qualify for a World Cup. If you got problems, figure them out over there and leave them over there. All right. And I know I'm being a little simplistic here, but this is not a place to to grow or to work through things. You got to perform every single time you come in. And if you don't do it, especially in this era right now, with all of the depth and all the quality out there, then we're going to find somebody to do it, whether it's Christian Pulisic or anybody else. And he, I mean, it's easy. We can all say he has got to play better. What's the problem? I don't know what the problem is, but he is a shell of his former self. And again, I don't need him to be messy out there. I just need him to pull his weight. And he's not doing that right now. Quick question, though, based on that, you want you were talking about Robinson maybe getting in his way and you got Dest on the other side kind of trying to do the same thing. And that's yeah. sort of the, the system that Berhalter wants to play. So if you want him wide in that space where he can run on and, and go with the ball, but yet if he goes inside, is he trying to do too much, too many touches? He runs into problems, doesn't have the person he wants to combine with centrally. You know, I mean, you've got Eunice Moose in there. You've got Wes McKinney, whoever the number nine is. What's the tactically then, if you want him to start in that wide position, how do you solve that with the spacing and, and the runs of the wingbacks? Yeah, I mean, as, as much as I like that trio in the middle uh, with Musa and uh, Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney, n- none of them, either collectively or individually, are able to kind of give that final pass. And so they're great up to that point but they all three need to give one pass that then is given to the, and you would probably insert like a Gio Reyna type of thing, but obviously he's not here. And so that, that absolutely hurts. And, you know, I know Christian is, is forcing things on the field. He's forcing things. Uh, he, you know, he's putting himself in positions that maybe he wouldn't otherwise. Um, and that's, that's not always bad, but, you know, I, I look at this right now. I, I don't think we have anybody when it comes to that, that final pass and it's kind of by committee and that's, that's that's okay, but I also don't think that necessarily Christian. Like I said, I I just like him out. I like him out wide. Now, you know, I, to your point, Greg Berhalter has brought up numerous times, and I think he called them their secret weapons, right? Their outside backs. They get up so much. Well, if that's going to be the plan, I mean, there was a time when I was watching the game the other day where I said, "Holy crap! Uh, our left back in Robinson is our playmaker. Everything's going through him. He's being asked to do." And look. I, I think he's a good player. I don't think he's a great player. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that he scored the goal and he's in, incredible uh, in some of the things that he does. But sometimes he looks like, he, he, you know, he's a, like a newborn colt stumbling around the paddock and he, he'll he'll bring a ball down from 50 yards and, you know, on a dime and look up and have the most incredible touch. 
And then he'll follow it up where it's bouncing off his knee. And so I don't know what I'm going to get with him. I'm glad that we're getting a good run here in this three games, but I'm not sure if, 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 if ultimately he is, he is the answer over there, both in terms of just who he is as a player, but, but also whether that type of position out there uh, it's more beneficial to have that guy going up and down, or it's better, more beneficial to say, let's pick and choose our moments a little bit more. So we give Christian Pulisic that opportunity on that left-hand side to do it. Because if I, if it, if it's a choice between the two, ultimately on a consistent basis, I'm still going to go with Christian. I know what you're saying, Alexi. I, I must admit, I, I think for, for me, particularly in the, the Canada game, the US were, were terrible in transition. And every time the ball got to any of those central midfielders that you mentioned, they seemed to go sideways or backwards. I must admit, I, I think if you have Pulisic closer to the forwards, you may very well have a, a better outcome. I know what you're saying about him being out wide because he t- tends to tuck inside anyway a lot of the times. Um, but I wonder if, if you sacrifice one of those players in the centre of midfield um, and you, you allow Pulisic and you change your formation to a 4-2-3-1 and you allow Pulisic a little more creative freedom, it'd be interesting to see what you got. It'll be interesting to see in this, in this third game against Honduras, which, as I said, is you know, the most important game in Greg Berhalter's coaching career, if he makes the decision to sit Christian Pulisic. I, 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 I can't wrap my mind around it, but I was, I was at dinner last night and we were discussing it. And somebody brought that up and it never even occurred to me that that would happen. I mean, that would be a, you know, a pretty gutsy type of call because you risk crushing a player that, you know, as, as, as problematic as he is right now, you're, you're going to need him at some point. And he is going to come out of it at some point and be, I think, of value to the team. But do you risk, you know, crushing him in his worst time right now? I think no, no matter who's on the field, like I said, against Honduras, it's, they will, we will win. We will win by multiple goals and we'll be back and happy days will be here again in terms of the, uh, the points and, and our, and our road. But I think a lot of us are thinking about this team with when we get against better teams, when we get against the elites of the world, what are we going to look like? And are some of these traits and some of these problems that you, that you've brought up, uh, are they going to rear their ugly head at the worst possible time? And if we can nip them in the bud, let's do it. But it's a, at the very least, let's identify them now. Because if if we can't fix them now, then they're going to be even more problematic further on down the line when we're playing against better competition. One thing I've been dying to ask you since we confirmed we were doing this podcast, Lex, was that there, there seems to be an issue at centre forward at the moment for the United States. There was one centre-forward that was left off the roster, though, which to me it is unbelievably puzzling, not only because Jordan Pifok gives you the ability to go direct, allows you to play with a target man if need be. He's also scored 16 goals for young boys this year, both in the league and the Champions League. Why was somebody like that left off the roster, Lex? Because we have human beings uh, making these decisions, and inevitably <laughs> we are going to have you know, bias and baggage and history uh and until we have a you know an algorithm or, or or some sort of formula that we just put the data in and it spits out who the best collection of players are there's always going to be differences of opinion and maybe even more so now because we have all of these players and i know we're going to talk about that in a, in a little bit but we're, we're at a moment right now where there are options i mean people lose their mind when the when when the list of 28 players is put out right um, that never used to happen. 
let alone when the when the 11 comes out, you know, an hour before the game, people are going bonkers. And why is he doing this? And why is he doing that? And he's overthinking that. I actually look at that as a, as a good thing, because there was a time where that really didn't happen. But we got so many different options. And yes, we live in an age where they're right in front of us and we can see every single game. We can see every single touch. Uh, but there are a lot of players out there. You know, it's it's. I don't have an answer for, for why in this particular case, PFOC is, isn't, but it, it highlights it even more to your point when we are struggling at the tip of that spear and we don't have somebody right now. And look, we've gone through all of them, like we mentioned, and it's just this revolving door of players and this audition process that's going on, trying to fill the very big shoes of Josie Altidore and nobody has done that yet. So somebody step up my, my kingdom for a striker when it comes to the U S okay. Uh, I think we'll, we'll move on, shall we? Uh, we've dissected the last two games and the disappointments as much as we possibly can do. Um, I think this this upcoming game, like you mentioned it, as perhaps being the biggest game in Greg Berhalter's coaching career. Do we identify this as a must win, given the current standings of the group the United States are in? Yeah, I mean, look, we we make sport of, you know, firing, sacking and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's sports. I get it. And every coach understands that. Uh, but these are human beings. They have families and all that kind of stuff. And so I don't, you know, I don't willy nilly talk about firing. But the reality is that Greg Berhalter has a job to do. Yes, there's a long term plan and job. But his job right now is to qualify this team. And if you are Ernie Stewart, or if you are Brian McBride, the leaders of this uh, of this team that make the decisions ultimately on who is coaching the team, if you have any inkling that Qualifying for the World Cup is in jeopardy. If if we were to lose to Honduras uh, on uh, on Wednesday night here in uh, in uh, in Minneapolis and St. Paul, right, or in St. Paul, if we were to lose that, yeah, I think that there would be legitimate concerns as to is Greg Berhalter the right man in the next three games because it's basically three games to get us where we need to go. And if Brian and uh, and Ernie have any inkling that he's not then you make the change. I don't think that they were going to make the change. And I'm not even saying that making a change would be right with just three games, three games left. But if you can't beat Honduras, all right, here in this environment, I know there's a lot of talk about the environment, but it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be a winter wonderland. It's going to be cold, but you're going to embrace it. The people in the stands are going to embrace it. And we're going to see something spectacular and historical in terms of what's outside. Now, what's on the field? That's up to Greg Berhalter and this uh, and this team. And I think they'll come to play. I think they'll uh, they'll score their goals and they'll win. But if you can't beat Honduras, which is out of the octagonal, that maybe not even won't even have their uh, their coach is playing in this ridiculous uh, uh, frigid weather, which is certainly not something that they want to do. Then we got we got major problems with this team and with Greg Berhalter. What would that do? And this is a major hypothetical, but changing a coach in that moment, let's say hypothetically, what does that do for a group? Does it feel like this cohesive nature that, that, you know, that this group has been building around this style and this philosophy since Berhalter took over, or does that just not even matter? It just, you know, it's just just hoping hoping for the bump. You're hoping for the new coach. I mean, in this case, the temporary coach bump. And it's, and look, let's be honest, we've been through this before last time around when Bruce Serena, you know, he came in with more games to play and they, they looked at it and said, this is not going in the direction that we want, but you know, we're sitting still in second place. We have two games at home against absolutely teams that we could be including Panama, which was nipping at our heels. So that's a really important game uh, down there in, uh, in Orlando. Uh, and then, you know, the two games away, whatever happens, but you win those two games at home, 
maybe you get a point here uh, or there when you're uh, when you're on the road, and you should and you should be fine. Yeah, we'd love our uh, our friends from uh, from Mexico to give us some help here or there, and Panama also has to go to uh, to Mexico. So it's it's like I said, it's all there to play for. And 24 hours from now, it might be a much more rosy picture of both this team and of Greg Berhalter. It doesn't mean necessarily the problems have gone away. But it's amazing how quickly and how totally a win can fix things. Isn't it just? Um, I, I think the, the concerning thing, though, Alexi, is that, like you've said, in, in terms of where the United States find themselves in the group standings at the moment, on 18 points, equal with Mexico in third, Panama 17 points for those unaware, fourth, which, again, for those unaware, that is the playoff spot uh, in this region. And if the United States were to finish in that spot, they would play New Zealand of Oceania, um, which nowadays is not as easy as it used to be. My, my concern, Alexi, is that you, you mentioned the upcoming games. Home to Panama, huge game regardless of what happens. Away to Mexico, away to Costa Rica after this game here in St. Paul on Wednesday. The US, one win, two losses, two draws on the road during this qualification period. For me, it, it puts this game on Wednesday evening at the absolute height of importance in capital letters, whatever you want to say. So with, with that in mind, what is the 11? If, you, if you're in charge, if you're Greg Berhalter, what's the 11 that you're going with on Wednesday evening? Well, we know Tyler Adams is out. So, I mean, a logical type of uh, replacement would be Kellen Acosta, and I'm, I'm good with that. Um, we know that uh, Richards, uh, you know, is out with, a, with his foot. But you got uh, Walker Zimmerman, who was out because of injury. I don't know how serious that was, but let's say that it wasn't that serious, and he's back. And then he's partnered with Miles, and and that partnership has has provided uh, you know plenty of success and fruit uh, over the last year. So that's that's a good thing there. Uh, I think you continue on with. Uh, uh, with Dest, I think you continue on with Robinson. Because Greg Berhalter, remember, while he likes to rotate, he made a point at the beginning of this window of saying, you know, there will be players that play three games, and that's okay. Um, and, you know, we talked all about the travel and his limit, trying to limit travel. And so I think that from a physical perspective, especially against a team like Honduras, you can play those uh, three games. So I'm good with that. Obviously, um, uh, Matt Turner continues on, who, who I think was at fault on the goal twice, by the way, on that goal. Both the long kick, uh, which was needless, and then I think he should save the ball uh, on the shot. I didn't think it was a great shot. But you continue on with him, and I, I still think he's a great goalkeeper. Um, who replaces – so now you still uh, have um, Kellen Acosta, Musa, uh, and Weston McKinney, who I think has been the one shining light of, this, uh, of these past two games. We'll see if he continues on. I don't expect him not to. Uh, we know that uh, because of the COVID situation or the vaccination situation, that Wea will be back. And obviously rested, didn't play a game. So you put him out there on the right-hand side. I, I can't see, I know we talked about, I can't see them not starting Christian Pulisic, but um, so I'm putting Christian, uh, Christian again out there on that left-hand side. And then the, the question that everyone wants, wants to know is, is who's up top? I think you go with Pepe at this, at, at this point. And by the way, when he goes with Pepe and when Pepe scores goals, it doesn't mean that if you had played Jesus Ferreira in this game, or if you had played Jossie Zardes in the game, they wouldn't do the same thing. It also doesn't mean that had you played Pepe in the other two games, that the same results would have happened and we wouldn't be tearing our hair out uh, right now. I don't know what the, re the, the the reasoning is for not playing Pepe, but you know these Greg Berhalter and his staff 
they're watching the players every single day and they see stuff that we uh, that we don't and i know greg gets accused of overthinking things and maybe maybe he does i would rather somebody overthink something than underthink something um and you know he's got to find that uh, that middle ground but i think that's I think that's what the 11 uh, that I would go with. And I think that it's absolutely possible that that's something that Greg Berhalter would go with, but he, he, he provides surprises every single 11. So I guarantee that there will be, off, so that will be off on some of those picks. If, if in the first half, you're not getting the results you need, meaning even just putting some goals in the back of the net and taking, you know, your chances and, uh, uh, and capitalizing on them. What's the first, Who's, who's coming off the bench for you? Not necessarily who they taken out, but how did you rate Aronson or Jordan Morris coming back from, you know, injury and he's played a bit now, who would you come off the bench with? Uh, I think Aronson coming off the bench would be interesting. Um, I think, you know, as much as people don't like, I mean, keep in mind that earlier in this, in this octagonal, there was a time when Sebastian Legette and Christian Roldan came on and they were game changers. So I got no problem, especially against the Honduras, those types of players uh, coming on because while they take a lot of crap, um, you know, and oftentimes simply for where they play, not even necessarily who they are as players. Uh, I think that they can come on and, and make a difference in, in a game like this. So, you know, those are, those are some of the things uh, that would happen. And look, you still got Jossie coming off the bench. And I, I think he can do uh, and can do some damage up top if Pepe, you know, runs his day and, you know, if he scores goals or it's just not happening, uh, happening up there. And then Jesus Ferreira, while we saw him in that false nine, I think if you put him anywhere in that midfield, his guile and his his ability is actually something uh, to be valued. So, I, you know, all those all those guys, I think, bring something. They haven't always brought something. And as we said, the personnel changes when he went to that well last time, they didn't provide anything. But against a team like Honduras in this type of setting, I think any one of those. But I'd, I'd love to see, like I said, I'd love to see someone like uh, Christian Roldan or, uh, or Sebastian Leggett at a certain point. I'm just worried. I'm just worried about form and confidence at the moment after the last two, let's be honest, really poor showings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really hope that the individuals that made mistakes against Canada are, are able to get over that. Um, as you mentioned, I thought Matt, Matt Turner agreed. Alexi, I didn't think he was great with the goal. I thought the two centre-halves were, were dealt with too easily as well. Um, but every other soccer podcast in this country has covered that, so we, we won't dive too deep into that, shall we? Let's move on to some positive news, shall we? And Alexi, using your GM experience, I'm going to ask you to put your technical director hat on here. Um, what has been abundantly clear over the last, I would say, two to three years more than ever before, is the attraction to American players from those overseas. Now, yesterday was the European transfer deadline day for most countries anyway, and two national team players. I don't even know if you you count someone like Austin Trusty as a regular national team player, but he's in the mix for sure. Um, Two players went on deadline day to Europe. There was a time, Alexi, when you'd be happy of two players going in a year, maybe even in, in a couple of years, but two going in one day. It's wonderful to see the United States now very much being a part of world football from that regard it's incredible it's 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 fun it warms the cockles of my redheaded heart i mean let's be honest guys i had to i had to star in a world cup to get a european opportunity and we got players now that aren't even playing a minute in mls that are getting bought and uh transferred and, and so it's it's heady times and it's wonderful and 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 look some of it is by design uh, and was strategic in the way that MLS approached this situation. And some of it is serendipity, you know, the, the COVID situation and the realities, uh, you know, the financial realities and some of the, the challenges that, uh, that, uh, uh, that leagues and teams and cultures have. Uh, so all of that combined has made this incredibly fertile ground. And look, MLS 
very publicly, Commissioner Garber said, we want to be, you know, a number of years ago said, we want to be involved in the transfer market, the, the global market. And they are. And right now, I don't even think it's a question. If you are a young player, the opportunity and the platform uh, of the MLS affords you is, is much more secure um, and much more, there are many more possibilities and pathways now than let's say League MX, for example. And so that's great in a very, very short period of time to be a player on the international market. Now, from an MLS team perspective, whether it's the Loons or whether it's any other team, you have to recognize that while this is all fine and well, your job is to give the people the team that they want and to be competitive. And so there has to be that balance because, you know, you guys are in the offices right now and there's men and women that get on the phone and call up and, and say, Hey, listen, um, I want you to renew your season tickets, or I want you to buy season tickets. Or I just want you to buy a ticket. And if, if you're, if you're hanging your hat on selling players, that's okay. But I, I, I this is my personal opinion. I don't care about development. Okay. I doesn't, I'm not, I'm not paying you money to see the future. I want to see a team that wins. I want to see a team that's committed to winning and doing the things. So you have to make sure you're reinvesting whatever money comes back in and providing that quality and that value to your season ticket holders and not just your season ticket holders, anybody that's, that's coming to the game. Because, you know, saying you know, FC Dallas, for all of its, if it's wonderful transfers, I mean, I worry about what they do when they get on the phone. And I like that they signed Jesus Ferreira, but hey, listen, uh, did you see all of our players that are playing over in Europe? And you want to buy tickets? And you want to support this team? Well, I don't, that for me, that falls on dead ears. So, uh, so it's, it's great. And it's only going to get uh, more. And it's a great um, message to be sending out there. But we just have to be careful that we recognize that the priority still and has to be on making MLS bigger and better and not pigeonholing us as a feeder league or as minor league, because there's a danger in that. And once, once you're, once you're seen as that you are shaded and it's very, very difficult to go back. And they've really tried over the years to avoid that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, having said that though, it's, it's quite encouraging to see FC Dallas actually reinvesting some of that money, perhaps for the first time in a long time with Ricardo Pepe, obviously heading over to Augsburg for, Near $20 million, we're told. They reinvested some of that. $2 million in GAM going over to DC United for Paul Ariola, a United States men's national team member, a regular member as well. Here's hoping that continues to happen. But, Lexi, it, it must be so encouraging to see. I mean, look, let's go through some of the names. George Bello going to Arminia Bidfeld yesterday in the German Bundesliga. Mm -hmm. Austin Trusty, as we mentioned, going to Arsenal. Uh, I believe he's going to be on loan with the Rapids for the rest of the season. But the point is, he's gone to Arsenal. As has Matt Turner for New England Revolution. Again, he'll remain on loan for a certain portion of this coming campaign. Ricardo Pepe, we've mentioned, going to Augsburg. Daryl DK going over to West Bromwich Arby and Kevin Paredes going to Wolfsburg in the German Bundesliga. This is now, in my opinion, such a turning point for Major League Soccer. The question is, Lex, when, and I guess we're already starting to see a little bit of it, when are we going to see it the other way and see that money be spent on bringing players in? And I know I've just mentioned Paul Ariola, mm -hmm. that's an internal trade, but in terms of players coming in. When are we going to start seeing that? Well, I mean, you, you look at Insigne up in uh, up in Toronto, and that's a huge expenditure up there. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, this is this is what we're talking about. It's I I want for my team, and I'm, I don't want to speak for Loons fans or anybody else out there, but they want to see a winning team. They want an MLS Cup, and they want their club doing everything possible to either either develop quality 
or bring in quality and be smart in terms of what, uh, of what they are bringing in. You know, I, I do think that, that there is plenty of incoming talent. Some of it isn't as well known and, and that's by design, right? You're, you're bringing it in and your asset has a certain value and you're looking for it to appreciate over time. Sometimes it works out. You look at uh, Miguel Amarone and sometimes it doesn't work out. And you know, this is, this is not an exact science, but whatever that is that's coming in, you got to make sure that it's able to hit the ground running. And yes, it's going to develop over time, but ultimately you want to make sure that what you're bringing in is better than what you have. Another not so dirty little secret is that incoming talent, and oftentimes that is foreign talent, let's be honest, is sexier. And a lot of people equate it with quality. And that's where it gets interesting because if this incoming talent comes in and you look at this just in terms of the player, and if at the end of the assessment you say, there's a player over here. It's not even worth, we're not paying close to what we're paying this guy. And yet he's a better player. I mean, what if, what if there's a player making $300,000 that outscores Insigne and outplays Insigne this year? Then, then, you know, you're left with some interesting types of things, but I get it. I get why there is the attraction to incoming talent. And oftentimes when it comes to foreign talent, and I don't think it's going to go away. I think it's a good business investment, both in terms of that value of that player, but also in terms of the the heads it turns and obviously the tickets that it sells. And I think I heard you ask this to Steve Trundle the other day. What do you think the attraction is with Bundesliga? What, what do you think the, the connection is there with more seeming to go to German clubs? I think there's, American yeah, I think players. there's a cultural um, uh, thing going on there in that just in general, whether it's Americans or not, they like to play young players uh, and they give them opportunities and they're not they don't fear that. And maybe other countries and cultures, there is more of a fear and maybe more pressure and therefore more, uh, you know, ramifications from doing that. So, so there is just an ingrained type of belief that young players are good to play. And if you give them the opportunity, they will, uh, they will reward you. They, I think, recognize that American players in general, I know I'm generalizing here, but I think they recognize that they're affordable. They're not going to give you problems off the field for the most part. They're going to work their ass off um, they are going to be have been well coached and, and appreciative of the opportunity uh, um, and that they think about their career in a way that is beneficial to what they do in uh, in Germany. And let's be honest, too. There's also a lot of American ownership going on now and this battle for hearts and minds and most importantly, viewers. You know, whether it's you look at Venezia and what's happened um, and you look at places in the Bundesliga and you look at other places, that connection. Look, we all have our opportunities out there and life isn't fair and soccer isn't fair. It's not always a meritocracy. If you get that opportunity, grab it with both hands. And if it came because they really think you're a great player, whatever. If it came because there's an American owner, take it, take it and then go in there and, you know, and, and milk that opportunity for everything it's worth. I think it's, I think it's wonderful. But Germany in particular, I just think they, they appreciate American players. There are an abundance of names that I was going to go down through in terms of players that have come into the league as well, as we mentioned earlier on, people that make the league more attractive, uh, the likes of Carlos Ocedo, uh, signing with Toronto and, and whatnot. But we don't want to, I mean, we, we are already at least 45 minutes into this podcast, so we don't want to bore the listener too much. So let me, let me ask you, Lexi, uh, what have you made of Minnesota United over the course of the last 12 months? And what do you expect from the coming 12 months? Well, you know, from that uh, from that soft launch of a of a disaster that started your existence in MLS to now, it is it is night and day, and it's wonderful. Uh, you know, I, I 
I love seeing this team come into its own, establish an identity, and more importantly, get the results and give not just the fans, the Loons fans, but all of us that are watching, you know, something to be excited about. I get excited when Minnesota is playing. I get excited when I get to uh, to watch the Loons. And it's, you know, you know, it's yes, being smart in terms of uh, the signing process that they have, but now it's about can you kick on and can you sustain? And you look at this team, you know, I, I, I got the, uh, the results from last year up here. And, you know, you look at, all right, you finish fifth. It was back and forth. Uh, and, you, you know, you're just above Vancouver there. You know, can you get into that top four type of echelon? And when I look at, you know, the goals against and the goals uh, and the goal difference here, you're the only one in the playoffs uh, that had a negative uh, goal differential there. So, you know, that tells me you got to work on defense and obviously, you know, defense wins championships and, and letting fewer goals in is important. Uh, you, you know, your, uh, your home away record, I think you got 33 points of the potential 51 points that you could get at home. You got to bring that, you got to bring that up and it's got to become that fortress in terms of getting those points on a consistent basis at, at home. Um, you know, you, you're, you're bringing in some different players, but you also have, you know, one of the great players in, in Reynoso, you know, uh, let's see, uh, who really hasn't worked out yet. Uh, Robin Wood is just uh, a monster. <laughs> I mean, I mean, what a great signing and what a great, uh, uh, what a great player, but you got to, you got to, you got to kick on. And so you got my attention now. Let's see if you can keep it. Yeah. Uh, it'll be very, very interesting to see what Minnesota United do this season. But look, Alexi, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, my thanks to you and to Kindred East St. Aubin and the litany of production crew here at Minnesota United as well. It all comes down to Wednesday evening, the United States hosting Honduras in what we think is a must win game from all of us here. Have a good evening.